Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning and welcome to the Wild Brain Fiscal 2020 Second Quarter Earnings Call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during that time, please press star then 1 on your telephone keypad. If you'd like to withdraw your question, please press the pound key. I'd now like to turn the call over to Nancy Chan Palmatier. Director, Investor Relations at Wildbrain. You may begin your conference. Thank you, Operator, and thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Speaking on the call today are Eric Ellenbogen, our CEO, and Aaron Ames, our CFO. With us and available during the question and answer session are Josh Sherba, our President, and Danielle Neath, our EVP of Finance and Chief Accounting Officer. First, we have some standard cautionary statements. The matters discussed on this call include forward-looking statements under applicable securities laws with respect to Wildbrain, including but not limited to statements regarding the management and business reorganization, expected costs and savings associated with such reorganization, and use of such, such savings, changes to YouTube, the business strategies and operational activities of the company, and the future financial and operating performance of the company and its assets. Such statements are based on information currently available and are subject to a number of risks and uncertainties. Actual information currently available, actual results or, or events in the future could differ materially and adversely from those described in the forward-looking statements as a result of various important factors, including the risk factors set out in the company's most recent MD&A and annual information form. Please note that all currency numbers are in Canadian dollars. For the question and answer session that will follow, we ask that each analyst keep to one question with one follow-up so that everyone has a chance to ask questions. If you would like to ask an additional question, please rejoin the queue. I will now hand the call over to our CEO, Eric Ellenbogen. Uh, thanks, Nancy, and uh, good morning to everyone on the call. Thanks for joining. Uh, before Aaron walks us through the uh, earnings results, I want to share some highlights from the second quarter. Uh, we continue to make uh, good progress on all fronts. Uh, we're creating premium content, and we're growing our viewership on Wild Brain Spark, improving our financial position as well. Uh, the progress is showing up in our numbers. Um, our revenue, EBITDA, and cash flow are all up uh, quarter over quarter. We're also getting positive responses on our premium kids content. Um, as uh, many know, the first new Peanut series, Snoopy and Stace, is one of the most watched shows on Apple's new streaming service. Uh, the show is popular uh, across a broad demographic of viewers from kids to adults, and this is the first new global series for Peanuts in decades. And we see this new content as a huge brand driver across consumer products, which has been the mainstay of the Peanuts business. Uh, beyond Snoopy and Stace, uh, more Peanuts content is underway for Apple TV Plus, uh, so stay tuned. Um, another viewer favorite has become Chip and Potato, uh, now a top 10 kids show 
on Netflix in several key markets. We're moving forward on a second season of this original preschool series, and we're accelerating development of other famous IP too. Um, to help lead our initiatives in brand building, creativity, and premium content, uh, last week we announced several key management appointments. Uh, Michael Riley joined us as our new Chief Brands Officer. Deirdre Brennan uh, came aboard as EVP Content Partnerships. And Jin Bao Wei was appointed uh, Managing Director for China. Uh, I can add that we're uh, uh, adding expertise at the board level too with two new directors, Tom McGrath, a studio veteran and entertainment industry op, uh, entrepreneur uh, who served on my classic media board for many years, and Erin Olofsson, who's the country manager for Pinterest Canada. And she brings a long track record of success in digital advertising and social media, including stints at uh, Facebook and Microsoft. Uh, now I'd like to address uh, one of the most significant and anticipated changes that's occurred since our last earnings call, and that's the introduction of the so-called Made for Kids content category on YouTube. These changes were implemented in early January, and even though uh, this is after the end of the second quarter, we want to provide some clarity on what's happened and its initial impact. Uh, the creation of Made for Kids is a big step forward for the sector as a whole. Uh, our analysis indicates that kids' content is the third biggest genre on YouTube in terms of views and has therefore been a very significant driver of YouTube's business. You may have followed uh, Google's recent disclosure that YouTube makes $15 billion a year in advertising revenues, which in turn contributes 10% of Google's overall revenues. And we expect that the changes that they've introduced will, will improve the quality of the content that's viewed and in turn create new opportunities for advertisers who are finding it increasingly difficult to reach younger audiences on linear television. In the short term, however, we're in a period of transition. The changes that have been rolled out on Made for Kids content remove features that use data that is associated with an individual viewer. And some of the disabled features affect the viewing experience, such as comments and notifications and others affect some categories of advertising, which have previously been shown to viewers of kids' content and other genres based on the interests of the individual viewer. It's these ads that target an individual viewer based on their interests and viewing history that will no longer be served on kids' content. We do expect, however, that the demise of interest-based advertising will enable growth in other advertising formats on Made for Kids content. So in some ways, uh, we're actually going back to the future. Uh, going forward, we expect the major growth in advertising revenue will come from ads that are targeted based on the context that they are served in the channel, the show, even the individual vid video, rather than based on the guess that an algorithm is making about who is watching. And the metrics for advertisers will be based on familiar measures such as views, reach, watch time, and frequency. Hello, operator. Is, uh, has Eric been disconnected? Eric's still on the line. No, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, am I, are you hearing me now? Yes. Continue. All right. Uh, 
apologies. Um, the um, uh, just taking it back, the way that uh, uh, made for kids advertising is sold in the future will share many, many similarities with the way that TV advertising has always been sold, and those are dynamics we understand well from our broadcast operations in Canada. Uh, we've been piloting direct sales of ads onto our Wild Brain Spark channels in Canada, and we've been achieving a significant price premium compared to interest-based ads, which reflects the quality of our content and overall proposition. Uh, in the meantime, we're responding rapidly to the new environment. We've now secured the technology we need, and we have an ad sales team in place in the UK, the US, and Canada. And we're open for business and have now started direct sales to advertisers this month. Uh, the initial brand uh, response, I should say, from brands and agencies has been encouraging. They're welcoming our unique combination of placement of high-quality programming at significant scale, supported by analytics, and the opportunity to create and promote custom content. And we're also working closely with YouTube as the Made for Kids category evolves across both the main YouTube site and the YouTube Kids app. Our ambition is to build a sustainable new model for AVOD that works for viewers, advertisers, and creators. And we believe that we're very well positioned to benefit from these changes in the long run. Wildbrain Spark is a leader in the kids space on YouTube, attracting on average over 3.5 billion monthly views. And this makes us an incredibly valuable platform for advertisers and to drive audience engagement for amplifying brands. What we've built is very difficult to replicate. We have a network of significant scale with 700 channels full of premium content a highly engaged audience and proprietary analytical tools. And we believe that Made for Kids will further accelerate the flight to quality that we will continue to benefit from. So in addition to the actions that I've already shared, a few more things. We're also expanding out our data analytics, which give us valuable insights in developing and exploiting IP. We're continuing to mine our content library we're adding more partner brands and growing our own brands, and we're expanding into new revenue areas and platforms to drive future growth. We're also finding ways to build bridges for clients and our own IP across our studio, AVAD, AVOD, and licensing agency businesses to drive new opportunities. And uh, to that end, Steve Manners, who's been a longtime executive with our licensing agency, Wildbrain CPLG, was recently appointed VP of Business Development to work with both, both Wildbrain Spark and the licensing business, CPLG. Steve will pursue opportunities to help licensors and content creators to increase their exposure on digital platforms with Wildbrain Spark, which could lead to increased consumer product opportunities with Wildbrain CPLG. And that fits our strategy to become lifecycle managers for brands. And we're continuing to take a 360 approach to drive creativity and collaboration across our business units to realize growth. Um, and with that, I'll turn it over to Aaron. Thanks, Eric. In Q2, revenues rose 4% to 122.1 million and was up 6% to 234.4 million in the first half of fiscal 2020 compared with the prior year period. The increases for both periods were driven by higher total distribution revenue and royalties from our consumer products owned business. Royal Brain Spark revenue grew 21% to 24.2 million in Q2 2020, 
This increase was fueled by growing viewership on our AVOD network, which rose 36% to over 9.9 billion views in Q2 2020. As Eric mentioned, YouTube introduced new rules and policies regarding targeted advertising on kids' content in January 2020. Absent our own initiatives and direct advertising sales taking hold and any mitigating actions taken by YouTube, we expect there would be a negative impact on revenue at Wild Brain Spark in the latter half of fiscal 2020. Initially, in the first few weeks following the change, Wild Brain Spark experienced a revenue decline of approximately 40% compared with the same period last year. As there us, we're taking actions to address this change and continue to see significant value in our large and growing user base. Adjusted EBITDA rose to 25.6 million this quarter and to 45.2 million in the first half of 2020. This compared with 22 million in Q2 2019 and 39.3 million in the first half of 2019. Adoption of IFRS 16 accounting standard for leases positively impacted adjusted EBITDA by 2.3 million in Q2. Normalizing for this impact, adjusted EBITDA was up 1.3 million in Q2. In the first half of fiscal 2020, IFRS 16 positively impacted adjusted EBITDA by 4.1 million, while the first quarter of fiscal 2019 included an incremental 1.3 million due to a higher ownership stake in peanuts for part of last year's quarter. Normalizing for both these items, adjusted EBITDA rose by 3 million in the first six months of fiscal 2020. In Q2 2020, the net loss was 2.3 million versus a net loss of 17.9 million in the same quarter last year. This improvement was partly due to the positive impact of non-cash unrealized foreign exchange gains of 22.4 million and higher gross margins of 5.7 million in the current quarter. In the first half of fiscal 2020, net loss was 18.3 million versus a net loss of 20.3 million in the same period a year ago. The improvement was due in part to positive change in non-cash unrealized foreign exchange gain of 14.7 million and higher gross margins of 12.3 million in the current period. This was offset by a higher write-down of $4.8 million for certain investments in film and television titles determined in the context of current market conditions. Cash generation continues to improve. We generated $40.6 million of positive operating cash flow for Q2 2020 versus $11.6 million in Q2 2019. We reported positive free cash flow of $13.3 million in the current quarter versus $12.9 million in Q2 2019. During Q2 2020, we needed to reduce debt. We paid down $50.2 million on our term loan from the net proceeds of the rights offering that closed during the quarter. As a result, our net leverage ratio was 5.09 times at December 31, 2019, compared to 5.92 times at year-end June 30, 2019. Concurrent with this debt repayment, our net leverage ratio covenant requirement under the term loan was fixed at 6.75 times, with no step-downs for the remainder of the term through to December 2023. And with that, I'll hand the call back to Eric. Uh, thanks, Aaron. Um, we're in a transitional period, uh, but I can say it's definitely not the first with YouTube and our AVOD business. And for those of you who follow the sector, uh, you'll know this is highly characteristic of the digital bus uh, media business. And since the founding of Wild Brain Spark, we've worked through uh, myriad changes with YouTube that have significantly impacted both viewership and CPMs. And yet every time we've come through with more content, bigger audiences, and more revenue. And this time actually feels no different. And as we're repositioning aggressively to improve our platform 
our viewership and monetization. Um, and now uh, we'll open up to questions. Thank you. At this time, I would like to remind everyone, in order to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. To withdraw your question, please press the pound key. Our first question today comes from Aravinda Galapathy from Canaccord Genuity. Please go ahead. Good morning. Thanks for taking my question. Um, Eric, I wanted to start with, um, you know, you, build, you, you give us some good color on your sort of uh, uh, the roadmap for, for uh, Wild Brain Spark. But um, I, I wanted to dig a little deeper in terms of the direct sales uh, initiative. My understanding is that there is a significant variance between sort of, the CPMs that you get uh, when you sort of rev share with uh, when you're selling through YouTube and when you go direct. Um, can you talk to that upside um, um, in terms of ad revenues? And uh, connected to that, I mean, um, as you look to move beyond sort of the typical YouTube MCN model, what are the other areas uh, that, that you believe can be built up? I know that, you know, once you have an audience of a particular size and, and certain brands, uh, you know, you're in position to build apps and, you know, build e-commerce around it and so on. Is that all part of your broader vision? So um, let me start with your uh, second half of your question first, and then uh, address um, address CPMs uh, and uh, and direct sales and our experience so far. Um, so uh, on the audience build side, um, I think you know there have been some experiments uh, that we've sort of seen across the industry about uh, apps. Um, I think uh, the jury is still out on that, and being able to convert. Uh, YouTube uh, viewers into uh, app viewers, um, uh, I don't know yet. We're just going to watch that space. Uh, I don't know that we will necessarily be the, uh, the innovators. There are a lot of uh, industry participants there, uh, and we'll watch those experiences. On the e-commerce side, I think uh, definitively there is an opportunity, uh, and uh, we are in a way already engaged uh, in uh, e-commerce through uh, toy play video and unboxing videos uh, with the audience engagement that we have. And, you know, we clearly still have data regarding number of views, where they're viewed, uh, languages, countries, et cetera. So that's extremely helpful. And uh, we are uh, looking very carefully now at e-commerce uh, partners and, uh, and possibilities. Um, so uh, I would say less so on apps. Uh, E-commerce opportunities, I think, are, are meaningful. Um, and uh, the other thing which we are doing already is to use a combination of linear television and our Spark platform to uh, promote uh, IP, uh, both our proprietary IP and partner IP. And it's sort of the always-on uh, aspect of uh, YouTube uh, linear television and, frankly, uh, any other uh, uh, AVOD uh, platform. Um, on the uh, CPM and direct sales side, uh, one of the, uh, the uh, you know, observations, uh, and I think that those who know the market well, is that so much of the advertising uh, in our content and, frankly, in all content in YouTube didn't necessarily – the advertiser didn't pick that content. Uh, it's done through an uh, algorithm. It was based on – you know, estimated viewer data, 
uh, and it isn't really related to shows. What's happening now with Made for Kids uh, is that uh, our approaches, and they've been quite encouraging uh, with major consumer product companies because uh, there's a, a great deal of co-viewing that goes on in the space. Uh, it's both kids and caregivers and parents. Uh, and they are uh, then intentionally uh, associated with uh, content, much like uh, we sell in uh, our broadcast television operations. Um, I think it's also fair to say, uh, it's no big leap, that the audience uh, for, uh, call it Teletubbies, prior to December 31st is the same audience after December 31st. And in many or most instances, we have uh, not only that data prior to the changeover, uh, but uh, we also know from linear television and rating services who those audiences are. So uh, it does sell at a higher CPM. We obviously have issues around uh, fill rates. We've got to get out there and begin selling. We have an enormous amount of content and uh, placement. Um, and uh, we are also selling into, uh, into the uh, uh, YouTube Kids platform, so uh, it's we're sort of firing on all cylinders with ad sales and talking directly uh, to advertisers and sponsors, uh, creating content with them, and I think that all of those things are going to be an enhancement to uh, to revenue. Thanks very much, Eric. I'll pass the line. Our next question comes from Rob Golf from Echelon. Please go ahead. Um, good morning, and thank you for taking my question. Um, it, it's also on the uh, Wild Brain Spark side. Um, when you noted the 40% decline year on year, would you characterize that more as a reset or an initial shock to the change? Um, I'll, let me attempt that, and then uh, Aaron can, uh, can elaborate. Very early data. Uh, I mean, we're giving you just the, you know, first few weeks of January uh, mm -hmm. that, uh, that we have data for. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we've gone through in the same way these algorithm changes that uh, when YouTube went to a push for quality content uh, benefiting large networks like ours, we had, you know, an immediate updraft uh, in excess of 30%. Um, so it's, it's hard to say. My expectation is that there will be a market equilibrium. Um, you know, as I pointed out, the uh, revenue associated with kids' content on YouTube is of such a magnitude that we uh, fully expect that YouTube themselves will make algorithm changes, and those have not yet worked their way through the system. So uh, they're highly responsive. They, you know, have promulgated these changes, uh, and uh, our experience, once again, is uh, there is an adjustment, uh, transition, uh, and equilibrium is restored in the market. The, the part that I think is interesting and opportunistic for Spark is now having direct sponsor uh, relationships, uh, which are uh, encouraged uh, by YouTube. We understand the market extremely well uh, and have those relationships now. So. Um, I can see, if, you know, if Aaron wants to add anything, but, um, you know, it's very, very soon to tell uh, what the trend is. 
Yeah, I, I, you know, I guess I'd just add one comment. You know, obviously it's very early days. It's been about three to four weeks, and we'll have a better view in coming quarters. But it's been our experience over the last couple of years that when these changes are made, um, things have normalized, and and we've been rewarded because of the premium content that we have and we've put on our channels. And so we expect that to continue to be the case. But in the term, there is some uh, transition that we'll that we're all experiencing. And as a follow-up, is, is there also an opportunity here for you to be more aggressive as an aggregator of content, given the advantages of scale? Yeah, I, I'll, I'll, the answer is yes, and I also think that uh, because of scale, uh, two things. One, um, there I think will be opportunities in the market uh, for consolidation. Uh, as many of the smaller players cannot sustain a, a direct sales force uh, in multiple countries, uh, don't have the uh, network uh, uh, data analytics, uh, and that should lead to opportunities around uh, further aggregation. Um, I do think there's a consolidation uh, taking place. I mean, we saw this actually even before the, uh, the end of the calendar year uh, with the you know flight quality on YouTube, and I think that uh, the changes in advertising policy uh, will lead to an opportunity for further aggregation. So I'd say the answer to that is definitively yes. Okay. Um, thank you. Our next question comes from David McFagan from Cormark. Please go ahead. Yeah, and just a couple of questions on um, on the changes with YouTube. Can you define uh, first of all what uh, is considered kids? Like, what what's the age demographic? Okay, so the way this works um, is twofold. Um, you know, the the it, it's up to the network to define the content uh, first and foremost. But failing that. YouTube, uh, through its algorithms, will define the content. So, um, you know, we are a scale player, obviously a uh, you know, dependable partner of YouTube, and so we're taking a, you know, very conservative view of what made-for-kids content is. Um, so that it's really happening in two ways. Either you classify it yourself or you get classified. Um, but, you know, it's basically, uh, you know, content that has that a, a kid or kids will likely to be watching. Um, I don't know if Josh has an amplification on that just in terms of age bracket, but uh, I know it is a self-classification. Okay. And in the past, um, you know, you talked a lot about the revenue of your YouTube business and how it's been growing so quickly and and how you know you guys are really excited about that business, but you never disclose the EBITDA contribution. So if the revenue is going to be you know declining by 40%, it would really help inv investors, <clears throat> excuse me, to understand what the impact is to EBITDA, and particularly in light of your financial leverage of 5.1 times in this last quarter. So can you give us any any additional information about that? So uh, let me start, and then uh, Aaron can uh, uh, can chime in. Um, we don't disclose the EBITDA. 
and I will go so far as to say, uh, you know, while it is positive, it is not the metric that I believe the uh, Spark business or, you know, uh, analogous similar businesses uh, are or should be measured on. Uh, this is a, a business of uh, audience engagement, uh, scale, um, and uh, and network size, uh, and it is a growth in viewership, which has been sustained in building our network very, very quickly, uh, so up to 3.5 billion views a month. So I think revenue is important, and revenue has continued to grow. Uh, you know, we have hit this... Uh, a change to uh, Made for Kids, which has had an impact, which we're sharing with you, uh, again, though it's outside of the quarter. Uh, but uh, that's, that's really where, the, where this is played. I think it, it is, you know, uh, probably more appropriate when talking about IP exploitation to look at EBITDA's measure. I think that's totally legitimate. Uh, in this case, though, uh, I think that you know, my focus is to take every dollar that we can generate within the Spark business and put it back into the business to further grow content and uh, audience. Uh, Aaron? Yes, um, thanks, Eric. I, in my, in my uh, view, we're lucky because we're an integrated business, and so we owe awareness on Spark, and as, as you saw, we had 36% increase in, in views. And so that allows us to um, increase brand awareness and therefore grow the other parts of our business, which we're very focused on. So I think that's why we're lucky. Um, uh, and I think on the other side, um, we've taken a number of steps to improve our balance sheet and pay down debt and improve leverage. And so I feel confident that our balance sheet can withstand you know, the short-term variabilities. Um. I mean, with with all due respect, I mean, when when you have 5.1 times leverage, and you know this revenue is potentially coming off 40 percent, uh, it, it is a cause I think of concern for investors to wonder what the impact is to EBITDA. If your leverage was one and a half, probably wouldn't matter, but at 5.1, it matters. Yeah, as, as I said, I think we've taken a number of steps to improve our balance sheet, and so you know we're confident that we can manage uh, through the short-term nature of any variations here. Okay, all right, that's it for me. Our next question comes from Deepak Keshul from GMP. Please go ahead. Oh, hi guys. Uh, good morning. Uh, thanks for taking my question. Um, so I, maybe I'm going to look at this in a sim simplistic view, perhaps too simplistic. Uh, so YouTube has changed the way it advertises to kids in January because of regulations around advertising to kids and data collection. But it sounds, um, from what you're saying, you still collect a rich set of data from, from the audience that views your content that is primarily children. Uh, so I'm just wondering on the, what are the risks or what, how you see the risks on the data collection side in general uh, for what you're collecting uh, from kids through through the platform, whether it's personally identifiable or not, how, how do you, and, and particularly in, in in the age of GDPR and with the new rules in California coming. Yeah, I, I think that uh, the there is no individual data uh, post uh, January one. Uh, it is it's it's more in the nature of what you would see in I don't know like a television rating. So the data that we collect. 
which is, is off of YouTube as well, based on linear telecast of uh, that same content often on a country-by-country -country basis. We know who the audience is. Uh, and, you know, once again, and I'm not, uh, you know, not being sarcastic, we kind of know who the Teletubbies audience is uh, from, uh, you know, don't necessarily need a lot of viewer data around that. But in terms of number of views, where the views are taking place, uh, languages, uh, that data, I mean, you can see that data that comes up on, on YouTube just in terms of, of number of views. We get a little bit more refined, obviously, with some of the data analytics. So everything is consistent. It's COPA compliant. Uh, it's, uh, you know, we, we definitively endorse the safer viewing environment for kids. So there's, there's nothing inconsistent uh, with the data that we collect. Uh, it's, it's ratings data, and that's what's being provided to advertisers along with, uh, you know, what is called contextual advertising. So uh, when a, uh, you know, prior to YouTube or even today, when an advertiser is buying into an audience, they're, they're buying a demo. Uh, they understand from the uh, content that they're placing uh, or the advertising they're placing within content, who is watching that content. Not on an individual basis. It's not targeted in that way. But, you know, shows for kids are going to get, you know, kids viewers. Uh, and, uh, and also in a preschool category, uh, you're going to see co-viewing with, you know, parents and caregivers. So that's, that's the data that we're supplying. Okay, so to be clear, you don't see a, any risk from a regulatory perspective in the way you're collecting data or the data that you're collecting? No, not, a, not at all. Just to the contrary. It is like, remember that this data was YouTube-supplied data. So uh, YouTube is no longer targeting and supplying that data. Uh, so uh, that that's where it's coming from. Uh, YouTube is the is the source of this information, and in the uh, prior to Jan uh, Jan one, uh, the targeting was uh, taking place, and the, the the way the advertising model worked is YouTube was serving up ads based on individual viewer data. That's no longer happening. So if a advertiser now wants to buy uh, in Caillou, they're just buying into Caillou. What we can tell them is how large the audience is, that's for sure. Uh, we can tell them the number of views. Uh, you can share watch time, as an example, uh, and you know how persistent uh, the audience is around particular episodes uh, or series. Um, that's all uh, readily available and has nothing to do with individuals. It's sort of exactly the same as buying uh, in linear television. Got it. Okay, thanks. Uh, and I had a follow-up for Aaron um, as my follow-up question. Um, I, I, I kind of missed most of the EBITDA commentary that in your prepared remarks. I'm trying to understand, um, you know, if, if you exclude the piece that goes out to, to the non-controlling interest, what's, what's the EBITDA growth on the remaining piece that you guys keep year over year? Well, um, if you if you take that out, it would, well it was 1.3 million for the quarter, so 1.3 million divided by 25. So, so I, I think that's the number that that's the percentage. 
Against prior year. That's the that's the growth rate of of the baseline EBITDA. Well, that that was the increase in EBITDA. That was the increase in EBITDA normalizing for both IFRS 16 as well as the lease. Uh, sorry, IFRS 16 and then the um, the um, yeah the half a year of peanuts, the, the small portion for peanuts. So in the half year it was three million for the six, six months uh, normalized for the IFRS 16. Okay. Okay, I think I got it. Thank you. Our next question comes from Tim Casey from BMO. Please go ahead. Thanks. You know, just back to YouTube and Wild Brain Spark. So, initially, you've seen uh, a hit to revenue. We're, I mean, we're halfway through the quarter. Can you help us directionally? Um, how should we think about that revenue line? Um, through the balance of this year and then into next in terms of trend. And, you know, I, I have to go back to uh, David's point. I mean, we, you, you can't, we can't ignore EBITDA. You know, like to say it's not a meaningful um, metric, it, it just, that's, I, I don't understand that. So can you help us out there? Thanks. So uh, let me, uh, let me, take the last part of your question first. Uh, you can't ignore EBITDA on a company-wide basis, uh, and I think that it is relevant in our ability to make EBITDA inside of WildBrain Spark uh, as a uh, you know, demonstrated, profitable platform, uh, I agree, is important. As to the quantum, provided that we have uh, dry powder and uh, a you know a business that has uh, is quite diversified in its sources of revenue. Uh, I continue to look at the business, and you may take issue with it. I look at digital businesses around audience growth and engagement, uh, and that to me and revenue uh, be able to build top line uh, as uh, as mission critical. And we're not alone in this category. I mean, there are uh, myriad digital businesses uh, that are measured on an identical basis. And so uh, in our industry sector, um, that's the uh, yardstick uh, by which uh, a digital business should be measured. Um, so it's about growing revenue, growing audience, uh, and uh, making sure that uh, it's a sticky audience and they're constantly engaged in our network. So that's one piece. On the second part, and I'll, I'll let Aaron take that up, it is such early days, um, and, you know, we're sharing with you sort of real time what we're seeing. Um, uh, just as the, you know, algorithm switched on us uh, in the back half of, uh, of the last two quarters, um, very likely there will be an adjustment uh, if uh, history is any lesson to us in the way that uh, YouTube operates. Um, so uh, I, it, it just is not possible for us, based on a few weeks' worth of data, to make a forecast on where it's going, as well as our own efforts in direct ad sales. So uh, it's both expectation on our part that there will be adjustments that YouTube makes, uh, and on the other hand, uh, our own direct efforts in advertising uh, sales uh, at higher CPMs 
than we were enjoying through the uh, auction mechanism on YouTube. Uh, Aaron may have a contribution to this as well. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, from a modeling perspective, which I think is where you guys are driving to, is, you know, what I, what I you know, the only thing you can do is use kind of our consolidated uh, EBITDA um, percentage, which for the quarter uh, before NCI was 28%, and then for the first half is 26%. And, but, I mean, but from our perspective, this is a very short-term, um, first of all, we only have four weeks of data, um, historically, we've come back and you know, improvements have, you know, algorithms have changed and, and things have normalized. And so we, we don't anticipate this to be a long-term, um, uh, basically, we don't, a long-term situation and it will come back and it will normalize. But from your modeling perspective, that's about as best as I can give you. Thank you. turn the call back to the presenters for closing remarks. Well, thank you everyone for joining us today and uh, we look forward to updating you next quarter. Thank you very much. Have a good day. This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.